Well, junior high PSM students, you can be released right now to room 103 if you choose to do that. And blessings to you, Parkview Church, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name's Wade. I'm one of the pastors responsible for encouraging the next generation disciple-making here at Parkview. And we're going to continue in this exciting season where we're at, thinking through our new vision together as a church. What is the Lord Jesus himself by the Holy Spirit calling us as a church, a whole church, to be and do in order that he might gain much glory? And our new language is this. The, the new vision is that we are glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do tomorrow, in a sense. And then what do we do today is the mission. We're called to be a whole church, making whole disciples of Jesus Christ for the good of all people. That is who we are in a nutshell. And the first question we asked as we've been kind of following this study guide, uh, week one, was on why do we make disciples? The answer very simply was the glory of God. God the Father's great passion, his number one agenda item on his task list, is to see his son Jesus honored and treasured and loved and adored by more and more people. That is the glory of God. The greatness of Jesus being embraced and loved, thrilling hearts. That's what God the Father is passionate about. And so we want to be a part of that plan as a church. Second question we ask then is, what is a disciple? If we are making whole disciples, what is a disciple? We looked at Matthew 11 last week where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and learn from me. And I'll give you rest. That's the word disciple, learner. And we emphasize that learning Christ, being a disciple, is not just academic brain knowledge, but it's learning, yes, convictions in our head that then transform our hearts in love for Jesus and then empower our hands to live like Jesus as a witness to our neighbors and surrounding world. Learning Christ together. But here's the question we need to ask and get clear as soon as possible. How does that happen? How is God glorified by the making of disciples, by the making of learners of Christ? How is God glorified? What does that look like exactly? Another way to put it is this. What must we do as a church if we're going to fulfill this great commission of go and make disciples of all nations? Well, according to the New Testament, there's a clear and persistent pattern to how disciples are made, okay? And in a slogan, we're changing language. Hopefully, my prayer has been that language is changing at Parkview Church from this point forward. Language is not everything in a church, but it definitely is something, okay? We know that the families, maybe fam you grew up in a family, there's a slogan, and I saw recently one family slogan was, always there, always to care. Okay, they use that all the time as a family. I bet you that shifted how they interact with one another, okay? So the slogan today at Parkview Church, Church is this. It's 4P ministry. 4P ministry. Very simple, okay? 4P ministry. 4P ministry. 4P ministry, okay? In fact, we're going to get really weird, okay? We're all going to say that out loud. 4P ministry on three, okay? One, two, three. 4P ministry. Great, that is how we make disciples, okay? Now, what this means specifically is this, okay? The four Ps are this, okay? The patient faithfulness in God's time, the prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit's power, proclaiming God's word, and all of this done by God's people. Patient, prayerful, 
proclamation of God's word by God's people. The patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by God's people. If you turn to that section three that we're on this week, you'll see that there in just a different order, right? The proclamation of the word of God, prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit, people acting as God's fellow workers, perseverance step by step. The patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by God's people. That is how we make disciples of Parkview Church. Now, here's the deal. We did not invent that. Now, we got the language from uh, these church leaders in Australia, but, but this 4P language is actually all over the New Testament. It's not something that we as leaders somehow just dreamed up all of a sudden and say, hey, here's a cool, successful little tip. Let's do 4P ministry and Shazam, our church will grow. All we're doing is opening our Bibles and seeing the clear pattern throughout God's word of what he calls his people to do. In fact, today, we could turn to loads and loads of different New Testament passages that are all about 4P ministry as the means by which God forms whole disciples, okay? We go to Colossians 1, 28 to 29. Next week, we'll look at Ephesians 4. Pastor Thomas will be preaching on that. It's all over Ephesians 4. It's all over the book of Acts. Basically, the book of Acts is when 4P spreads just viral, okay? Uh, Romans 10, it's all over Romans 10. It's all over uh, Romans 1 as well, okay? It's, it's all over the New Testament, okay? So all I'm trying to say is this, okay? We did not invent this. This is God's design for his people in his word and how we make disciples, okay? Now today, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 to 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 to 10. Again, it's just one of those core New Testament passages that give a clear picture that 4P ministry is God's design for every single Christian, okay? 4P ministry is not a secondary add-on to the Christian life, that there's this thing called living the Christian life, and then when you get super powered up to the next video game level of Christianity, you then go, did you supercharge into 4P ministry? That's not it. The New Testament, normal, average, ordinary Christians, how we grow, how we change, how we help one another grow and change, it's all through 4P ministry. And in this passage, Paul is getting excited, okay? He loves this church in Thessalonica because he sees the Lord at work in them, transforming them, making disciples. Paul had visited there earlier and had proclaimed the gospel, had prayerfully proclaimed the gospel patiently over time. This church had been built. And then he's writing to this church and he's trying to encourage them to, to convince them that they are the beloved ones of God, that God had chosen them out of his sheer mercy and grace. Verse 4, he says, I know that God loves you, that he has chosen you. And then from verse 5 all through the rest of the passage is Paul just showing them, here's the evidence how I know that you truly are disciples of Christ. And what we're going to see in this whole passage is the pattern of 4P ministry. And so these nine verses given to us from the Lord are him speaking to us as a whole church of what he desires for us. So the big point today is very simple. The big takeaway I want all of us, our hearts, as I've been praying and thinking this through, our hearts gripped by is this. If Parkview is going to be a whole church that forms whole disciples, then every single one of us is responsible to live out 4P ministry to those around us. If we're going to become a whole church making whole disciples of Christ, the Lord Jesus has 
given you the Holy Spirit so that you and I can take responsibility for those around us to help them take that next step towards Jesus by making disciples, taking the next step towards Christ through 4P ministry. So let's read this passage together. I will read it out loud, and then we will all listen intently to God's word for us. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 to 10. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. Right now, some of you are receiving the word of God in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they, those in Macedonia and Achaia, themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your word we pray for our, our whole church right now to see Jesus, Lord. Are we just saying that? We want to see Christ. We want our little kids and kids' ministry to see Christ. We want the junior high students to see Christ. Lord, here as we open our ears to your word, we want to hear and see and love Christ. Thrill us, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit of what you've called every single one of us to be and to do as disciple makers for the glory of God. Lord, we just are praying right now. I want to come with the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I want to be a servant first of your word, a servant of these people for your purposes, these dear people that I love. And I want you to do this, Lord, please. We're asking that you do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So how are disciples made? What's that process? What are we doing to make disciples for P ministry? Patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by God's people. And I, I'm passionate about this because this is how my life has been changed, okay? Again, nothing new here, okay? Most of you are probably like, okay, like I get it, right? We pray, we open God's word, we help each other out as God's people, and we just keep doing it over time, patiently. Yeah, it's nothing new, but my life is, was changed like this in college. I came into college uh, needing to grow in Jesus, needing to grow up in my faith in Jesus. And there was a man who gathered, uh, I went to Wheaton College just outside of Chicago, and there was a man who gathered a group of us, young men, sophomore, junior, senior year, three years, and we got together and we would do basically just four things. We would, no surprise here, we would open up God's word, so proclamation of God's word, and discuss it together. We would pray for each other, that the Holy Spirit would help us grow and change. 
and we would confess our sin and encourage one another as, as God's men, as, as God's people. And then we do that over time, okay? Sound familiar? And it was transformative for me because of this consistent uh, focus on the 4P ministry. And it was transformative for my life. In fact, I'm assuming if you look back on your life and the times and places you were kind of most strengthened in the Lord, you were most helped in your faith, that you were growing most in love for Jesus, most likely the pattern you are seeing in different forms, in different ways, are the four Ps of ministry, the patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by God's people. So here's how I want to approach our time, okay? Is I want you to think now through who is God calling you to do 4P ministry to you. Okay, I want you to think right now, maybe you can write them down on a piece of paper or just keep them in your mind, four, five, six people that you kind of love the most, four, five, six people that you kind of come in contact with most throughout the week. Who are those four or five people? Maybe it's Christian or non-Christian roommates or family members or coworkers, people that you're seeing often on a regular basis. And the thing I want you to walk away with, okay, and throughout our time, we're going to look at the four Ps through Thessalonians 1. We're going to notice this, okay, that Jesus Christ wants you to help those very people take steps closer to Jesus through 4P ministry. That's it. You are responsible for this. So let's look at, through 1 Thessalonians 1, the four Ps of 4P ministry, okay? First, okay, we must persevere patiently in God's time, okay? If we're going to make disciples, we have to be patient in God's time. Notice both the start and finish of this passage. Verse 3, okay? Paul's remembering, remembering this congregation before God, and they have faith, love, and steadfastness of hope. That word steadfastness can also be translated in other Bible translations as endurance, kind of this perseverance, this keeping at it, okay? Then look down at verse 10. Paul says that you, the congregation here in Thessalonica, they are waiting for God's Son from heaven. So there's this endurance and waiting, there is this, and in fact, if we look at the whole letter of Thessalonians, you'll notice that Paul's encouraging these Christians over and over again to keep on keeping on, as he says in Galatians 6, to not grow weary in doing good, especially to our fellow Christians, to keep being faithful. Here's the point, okay? Our first step in making disciples is this. It's going to be challenging and filled with difficulty, and what the Lord calls us to is to persevere, to be patient over time, step by step by step over the long haul. God is doing something in the lives of those you love. As you think of those four to five people, God is doing something in them through you in his time. Now, the challenge is we live in an Amazon Prime culture, and I order something yesterday, it arrives at my door today, okay? And if it doesn't arrive within that hour time frame, I'm getting angry, okay? They should send that drone and just drop it on a parachute or what, okay? I should get it fast. And it's hard for us to wait. Most of the time, God does not, in terms of making disciples and change our lives, God does not function in minutes and seconds. He functions in years and decades. Most of the time, it's slow and steady over a long period of time. Some of you right now are just waiting and waiting for those you love. You have a kid at home that you have continued faithfully lovingly speaking to them of the truth of Jesus, praying for them, teaching them from a young age. But right now, you feel exhausted and overwhelmed because it doesn't look like your kid is changing the way that you want. You have to remain 
patient, to endure, to not give up, to continue to wait on the Lord. Some of you have friends right now that have been stuck in the same sin year after year, and you have lovingly and gently confronted them and spoken the truth of God's word to them in love, and yet it doesn't look like they're changing. You must not give up. The last thing Jesus wants of you, and the first thing that Satan wants of you in disciple-making is to throw in the towel when it gets difficult and people aren't changing, or you are not changing at the rate that you wish they would. We have to remain patient as a whole church for the Lord Jesus to do a good work. So now think of again those four to five, six people you have in your mind. The people the Lord's called you to kind of to love. You see them most of the time. Here's the question I want you to reflect on. Where do you right now need to be waiting patiently, step by step, in God's time for God to work? Where do you right now need to be patient? Or we could flip it, okay? Where are you tempted to throw in the towel and to give up in doing them good in Christ, okay? Think on that. The Lord has called us to patience, step by step, persevering over the long haul. It is difficult. It is challenging. It oftentimes feels like a huge upward, uphill battle. But the Lord is with us, and we must be patient in his time in his plan. So we're learning together. Whole disciples are made through 4P ministry, the patient, prayerful proclamation of God's word by people. This is what the normal Christian life is like. And so let's look at the second one. The second P is prayer. We must pray for God, the Holy Spirit's power. Again, probably no shocker here. Nothing new here, I would assume. But I want you to notice how patience and prayer are the twin sisters of disciple making. I want you to notice that probably in your life there is weakness and impatience over those in your life that are not growing, they're not loving Christ the way you want them to, or you're not growing, you're not loving Christ the way you want you, you to be growing. And what happens is it will produce this sense of a felt weakness, this kind of felt helplessness. This oftentimes feels like despair, this, this getting close to kind of giving up. And what God says in 2 Corinthians 1, I love this, okay, Paul writing to a church in Corinth, he says this, in our ministry, in our disciple-making ministry, we almost despaired of life itself, okay? So he just feels totally defeated. And yet he says, but that, that feeling of weakness and overwhelming at just the, the task ahead of us, that was to make us rely on God who raises the dead. For some of us here, God is going to put weakness into your life that you cannot escape and that you cannot change through our clever planning and ingenuity so that we can learn to actually pray and rely on the power of God in Jesus Christ. Notice the big picture of this passage. Okay, I'm going to root this now in 1 Thessalonians 1. Look at verse 2 to 3. What does Paul do? He begins with prayer. Giving thanks to God in prayer to the Father for these Christians, for the faith, love, and hope, and all of these, these three, the triad, you'll see this in all the New Testament letters, faith, hope, and love, 
But where are they rooted in? They're rooted in Jesus Christ, okay? Now, verse 4 to 10. Notice how much God is at work in this congregation. Verse 4, God loves them and he has chosen them in his mercy. Verse 5, the Holy Spirit ignites faith in their hearts to receive the gospel message. Verse 6, this church has become imitators of Paul and of the Lord Jesus, Christ being the one who is the example to imitate in what ter terms of maturity looks like. Verse 6 again, okay? It's the joy of the Holy Spirit that gives them power in the midst of their suffering. Verse 8, it's the word of the Lord that sounds forth from the believers. It's God giving his word to his people to speak in ministry. And then verse 8, faith in God as an example to other Believers, And then he finishes in 9 and 10 saying what? That they have turned from the puny idols that make humans miserable to the living and true God who is, verse 10, Jesus Christ sent from heaven, raised from death, who delivers from the wrath to come. What is the point I'm making? The point I'm making is this. It's what Paul, it's what the whole New Testament is screaming out from the top of its lungs. It's that it's utterly essential for any growing church to understand. Any healthy growing church will understand this. That it is ultimately God who makes disciples of Jesus Christ. God is the fountainhead from which all ministry activity in any lo local church is coming from. So, Doug Fern, I think you were in here. Are you in here? Maybe you're not. I saw you walk out. Uh, let's just change. We're going to change the vision statement at this point. Okay? You're so sorry, Doug. Uh, it's not that we exist to make disciples of Christ for God's glory. It's that God exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ for his own glory. That's what God is doing in this world. It's God's word. It's God's people. It's God's spirit. It's God's time. God is the one who is transforming things. And that is why Paul prays. And that is why the church prays. This is the clear New Testament pattern. You'll see it in Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians. The book of Acts, again, is a story of how God makes disciples through the praying of his people. It's in Acts 4. It's in Acts 16. It's in Acts 6. People praying to God. The result is spirit-empowered disciple-making and growth. It's summarized for me. One of my favorite statements of the whole New Testament is this. 1 Corinthians 3. It's neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It's not us making disciples that is the primary most important thing. Paul says... But it's only God who gives the growth. Parkview, it's very clear. If we want to become a growing church, if we want to become a healthy church, a, a church where new disciples are made, where mature disciples are growing up in Christ, the only option we have is to become a praying church. Unless the Lord builds this house, we who build it labor in vain. Brothers and sisters, we must become a praying church, or we will become a dying church. And at the same time, I just want to encourage us right now. I see this happening. A group of women meet every Sunday afternoon to pray for this church, an unseen work of love for this congregation. I love seeing people join us for Tuesday, 7 a.m. Zoom. Everyone's invited, and there are people showing up and praying their hearts out to the Lord. Steve Ratchke, I love that brother because he's a praying man and he's been teaching this church how to pray for years and years and years. Sunday morning, there's a prayer team as well. We are praying. There are ways in which we are praying, but we need 
to feel our weakness more and more so that we can rely on the power of God through the Holy Spirit who raises the dead. Okay, here's the deal. We live in Iowa, which is the field of dreams. Okay, which is, right, if you build it, they will come. How about Parfu Church becomes the gospel of dreams, the church of dreams. If we pray it, God will come. If we pray it, God will come. Pastors and elders just are longing right now with all of our hearts to see the Holy Spirit pour out power and blessing on this church in a way that can only explain that God is among us. Don't you want your life to be a miracle for Jesus Christ? And to turn away from the blah, blah Christianity that so many of us are wrapped into? Let's pray for the power of Christ to be poured out on us by the Holy Spirit so that we might do something that can only be recognized as a work of God and not human cleverness and planning. Although human planning is important. It's just not fundamental. So we must be patient. We must pray. If we're going to make disciples, we then need to, third P, proclaim God's word. We must proclaim God's word in whatever way we can. Paul, in these verses, identifies two things, two evidences that these are faithful disciples here in Thessalonica. First, they receive God's word proclaimed, and then they give God's word proclaimed. They receive the proclaimed word, and then they become proclaimers of God's word. Look at verse 5. It says, Paul says, The gospel he proclaimed not, came not only in word, the logical content that's understandable, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and full conviction of its truthfulness. And then Paul continues his argument in verse 6. He says, You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. But then verse 8, he says, What? The word of the Lord sounded forth from you. So they received it, verses 5 to 6. And then the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came forth from them to the surrounding regions. So in the Christian life, we need word reverberation where we come on Sundays or community group or in personal Bible time or with your spouse or your friend and we hear God's word to us into our ears, igniting faith in our hearts and then we turn around and we look outward to the people around us and we serve them speaking God's word, proclaiming God's word. It is the calling of every Christian. Okay, right now, our college students are just crushing this. It's amazing. And especially our student leaders, whom I love and admire so very, very much. They are doing a fantastic job. We have been helping them receive God's word, Gabby and I as, as staff. And then they're going on campus right now and proclaiming forth. Okay, the word of the Lord is sounding forth. We just heard a story of two of our men. Uh, they had a Friday evening late night dinner, which happens in college all the time. Most likely at McDonald's, since I know who this guy is. He loves McDonald's. And uh, there he was sitting down with one of his friends from a college ministry across the table from a new freshman who's basically saying to them, I don't know what God is like. And then this Parfue College Ministry leader and this other member of the college ministry crew began just explaining to this new freshman who Jesus is. Receiving the word of Christ, proclaiming forth the word of Christ. It is the pattern of the New Testament. And notice then also, what is this word that we are proclaiming? What is this word that we are proclaiming? Well, if you look down at the pattern, verse 5, it says the gospel. Verse 6 says the word. And verse 8 says the word of the Lord. It is the gospel word of the Lord Jesus, which then is summarized in verse 10. Which says, Jesus is God's son, sent from heaven, raised from death, who delivers us 
from the wrath to come. The message we are speaking to people, okay? As you think about those four to five people, six people in your mind, the thing they fundamentally do not need is good advice. What they don't need is a pep talk of Bible verses slapped onto their problem. What your teenage daughter swimming in anxiety does not need is further challenge and commands from mom and dad to have more faith. What your suffering coworker or friend needs is not just some pep talk lobbed down to them, but good news of Jesus proclaimed to them. We need to become, in a decreasing way, a community that just gives good advice all the time. Good advice is helpful, don't get me wrong. Less good advice and more good news. More good news about Jesus. As the Holy Spirit convinces us of 4P ministry, the result will be us as a church talking about Jesus all the time. It will become more and more non-awkward before service, after service, to talk about what are you enjoying about Jesus? What are you learning from God's word? To give and take back and forth, praying for each other because we understand the good news of Christ, which is that God's love sends the Son of God to rescue the people of God from the wrath of God. That is good news that we can proclaim to one another. So think about those four to five people. Are you structuring time, praying for them? But also, what aspect of the good news of Jesus from the word of God do you need to clarify right now with those people? What aspect of the good news of Jesus? As you pray for them, be praying for the specific aspect of the word of Christ, the gospel word of Christ that you need to speak to those four, five, six people the Lord is calling you right now to speak to. I experienced this re recently. Uh, to Doug Fern just a couple uh, days ago, just felt haunted by guilt from something in my past. We all know what this is like. Satan does copy and then paste onto your brain of something that you, you know, happened like seven, nine, 10, 15 years ago. It's one of those days I just felt discouraged. Just felt discouraged. Honestly, just felt so discouraged. And so I called Doug Fern. I was like, Here, here's where I'm at. Just feel a bit defeated. And what he did is he talked to me for maybe three minutes, max, about Jesus. And it's all that I needed that day to take one step forward to be rid of the guilt because I'm cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. It was wonderful. Okay, every struggling sinner here in this church needs a friend, needs a mom, needs a dad, needs a coworker who is willing to speak openly about the loveliness and goodness of Jesus Christ. That there's no more wrath reserved for those who have trusted in Jesus because he has taken that wrath. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is the gospel word that we proclaim. So we're called to make whole disciples of Christ. We do that through 4P ministry, patient, prayerful proclamation of God's Christ-centered word by his people. And the last, the last P, right? The fourth and final P is people. Now again, notice how the fourth P does not say pastors. Now pastors, yes, are responsible for the teaching and proclamation of the word of God among God's people. Beautiful and blessed, and we're gonna hear more about that. Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of ministry. But the desire of Jesus Christ is for every Christian in this church to begin to think about those four, five, six people in their lives and to realize that it's not fundamentally primarily my pastor's job to reach out to them or my community group leader's job or whoever it is, 
but it is my calling that I get the thrill through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and right now as he's the ruling ascended Lord, he has poured out his Holy Spirit upon my ordinary humdrum life so that I can be a disciple maker for Jesus Christ. I am God's person for his task. And notice that in this passage. It's hard not to, I mean, it's just all over what Paul is saying, right? Verse 6, they became imitators of Paul and Christ, receiving the gospel word with joy. Verse 7, they became then not just imitators of those in leadership, but then examples for fellow Christians, where they're living as faithful examples, the word of the Lord sounding forth. But notice what their example fundamentally, what Paul calls, calls their attention to at the very end. Verse 9 and 10, what does he say? He says it's not their increased morality or better discipline or hard work ethic. It's what? Their repentance. The example here at Parkview Church that we are called to demonstrate is an ongoing lifestyle of repentance, which from this passage we learn is turning away from the cultural idols, whether they be comfort or sexual pleasure or use of money or however it is that our culture says, wow, that's what's most important, that we, by the help of the Holy Spirit, saying no to idols and turning to God, the living and true God, and serving Him and loving Him. That is what repentance is, turning away from and turning towards Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is that this church has become famous, totally plagiarizing Thomas Hoke here, famous for repentance. Famous for repentance. If there's one thing our hypocritical, self-justifying, abusive world needs are humble, honest Christians who are willing to take off the mask, throw it in the trash, and actually admit where we are tempted to be lured away from a faith in Jesus Christ and how the Lord is at work changing us patiently over time through his word to become more and more Loving what Jesus loves. Here's the final question I want you to ask. As you think about those four or five people, you've been thinking patiently, where do you need to wait on the Lord? Praying, how are you structuring prayer time for them? Praying for the Lord's power. You've been thinking about, okay, what aspect of the gospel word of Christ are I need to proclaim? But I want to ask the final question is this. Are you right now as a church, as a member at Parkview Church, as a Christian united to Jesus Christ, as a disciple, are you living in such a way that you demonstrate as a person that you humbly need the mercy of Jesus Christ every day? Are you showing an example to fellow believers that Jesus Christ did not come to help us become nicer, better people, but he came for ruined sinners to reclaim them and restore them to newness of life by his power? Are we admitting our sin? Are we admitting our struggle? Are we admitting the things that we battle against so that we can give testimony to the power of Christ at work in us. Recently, a community group member of mine did this. It was so amazing. Sent me a text and he said, hey, brother, I am struggling with lies from Satan today. Would you please pray for me to focus on Christ? And you know what happened in my heart towards that community group member? Skyrocketing admiration and love that he was willing to pull the mask off and get honest with me to repent, turning away from idols to serve the living God. So there we have it. How are we making whole disciples? 4P ministry. 
Every one of us is called to it. Patiently, prayerfully proclaiming God's word by ordinary people. And my time is, is uh, wrapping up here. And I just want to end with this thought. Look at verse 10, okay? Where it says, We wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I want us to realize that as you think about those four, five, six people in your life, that what we are doing every day in terms of 4P ministry and disciple making is we are on the precipice of eternity. That there is a time coming when God's judgment will come, where Jesus will return to restore all things. And I think, sadly, unfortunately, right, 9-11 is exposed how quickly, how, how life is so short and that we are going to face e- eternity. And so those five people that you've chosen, those six people, whoever they are in your mind, remember that they are on a path either towards eternal wrath and God's judgment if they do not receive the mercy of Jesus Christ or eternal glory and the happiness of Christ. I'll finish with this quote from C.S. Lewis and then I'll pray and one of our elders, Scott, will come and just give a demonstration from his own life what it looks like to do 4P ministry. C.S. Lewis says this, okay, remember this. We need to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to, we might say proclaim God's word to, may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal, Parkview Church. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it, it is immortals whom we joke with, we work with, we marry, or we might say we disciple. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. There are no ordinary people. Those four to five to six people are God's gift to you where through your own love and your prayerful and patient proclamation of Jesus that he uses you in his beautiful mercy to lead men and women, young boys and girls to become everlasting splendors in him for eternity. And so let's pray because it's God's power that helps us with this. Father, we come as a whole church. Would you convince us that every single one of us can do this by the Spirit's power, that we can be patient, that we can pray for the Spirit's power, that we can proclaim Jesus, and we can do this as your people working alongside of you. We pray this for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Scott, come on up and help us see what this looks like in your life. Good morning. My name is Scott Eberly. I'm an elder here at Parkview. I was asked to answer the question, who are you helping to take the next step to learn Christ through prayer and the word? And what does that look like? First, my first step was to pray to Jesus to use me for this purpose. He has not disappointed over the last few years. He started bringing people into my life who needed what he has taught me in my walk with him over the last 35 years. This has started in our family. Family and extended family have modeled praying and Bible study for us and us for them, thus growing each other in Christ-likeness over time. 
Everyone with children knows this is an act of heavenly tenacity and perseverance. Next, God moved my focus outward toward a person looking for answers in an abusive situation. As a physician, I did not have medicines, but asked, do you have a faith tradition to rely on to give you hope? The answer was childhood Catholicism, young adult Protestantism, but nothing recently. I said, the Bible has some really good help in these areas. Let me send you a few passages. This was followed by reading through the whole Bible and a much stronger, healthier relationship with God and family. Finally, I was led to the people of Parkview. In our community group, Pastor Rashke's Saturday morning men's group, a read through the Bible group, and the elders. Taking the time to develop deeper relationships with these people over coffee or tea, an hour or two at a time, we engage and grow together. Rosaria Butterfield, author of The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says it well when she writes, the integrity of our relationships must support the boldness of our words. To have meaningful interactions, we must start with building loving relationships. God blesses these relationships to grow both parties together in Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you are the great shepherd caring for your flock. Help us to grow in bold love for you, each other, and our neighbors. Amen.